morning and happy Saturday, you guys. It is Amanda and Baron with Kicking Cancer Cares on KSLM Radio, 104.3 FM and 12.20 AM. We are so glad you guys could join us. Really quick, want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors of this show and there who makes it possible for us to give you guys these messages that we bring to you. So they are really important to us, so make sure to show them some love and support. First is Oddmo's Pizza. You cannot go wrong with pizza, especially on a day that's hot and you just don't want to cook. So just go grab yourself some pizza, a case of beer, and those potato poppers. You'll be good to go. And Mike's actually been with us from the very, very beginning. He was our so, very first sponsor yeah, for so over a year now. Huge shout out to And his new Odd beer's Mike. out. Oh. It's called Kablooey. Kablooey. And it's a blueberry hefeweizen. Oh, that sounds delicious. And he's got it in his restaurants now. Okay. So that you Supporting guys. Supporting Kick of Cancer. Call of action. Go get yep. it. <laughs> Brewed at Sandy M Brewing. So it's oh, all awesome. local businesses. That's awesome. I know. And then Mark Creamer with the Family Heritage Northwest. Mark is an exclusive agent for Globe Life, the Family Heritage Division, where they protect families from financial devastation of cancer and other serious illnesses. Mark can be reached at 503 341 Four five or at his website familyheritagenw.com. So before I jump into last week's recap, yes, because we have a guest, yes, in the studio. Do. And, you know, I got looking. We've had a guest with us since the first week of January. Oh, I love that. Isn't that neat? Yes. Well, we have a really neat guest with us. Yes, week. we do. You want to introduce her? Oh, Mayor Kathy Clark, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you today. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. I'm going to hold off on last week's recap just for a minute. Okay. Because before we started recording, Kathy, Mary Clark, had some thoughts on last week's recap. So okay. I'm going to hold off for yeah. a second. But I'm going to give you a recap on someone you do like to hear about. Ozzy. And. Brenda. Both. Both. Oh, that's awesome. You remember like a month ago, we didn't think Ozzy was going to make it to his fourth birthday. We really didn't. I mean, he, they put him in hospice and yeah. he was declining pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And you saw the pictures from Kentucky. It was, uh, Kentucky was so good for him. Yeah. He flourished there. He it, really did. And you know what I think that has to do with? The, the love and support. Yeah, I do too. When you have that team and that connection with your people and you're just surrounded by so much positivity, it truly makes a big difference. Well, I, I, I'm sure that you saw it on Facebook. I love the pictures of that mm-hmm. local town, whatever that little town is in Kentucky. The fire department brings their fire truck out for Ozzy. That I love that. That was such a great group of mm-hmm. pictures. That so. is. I also brought you a little update from Brenda. Okay. So she is tired. Yes, I bet. Um, she said she's in bed for about 10 hours a night. Okay. But she realizes that sleep is a priority because mm. it's a major component in the healing. Absolutely. For those that um, are just joining us or don't know, my sister and I co-founded this five years ago. She had battled through breast cancer once. It had gone metastatic. In November of last year, she thought it had come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Mary Clark was at our honor and evening where she pretty bravely told people. Yes, that was come back. That took a lot. So she flies back to Arizona. She's chosen to do liquid uh, high doses of liquid vitamin C, mm-hmm. and they had to put a port in to get the IV in to get the uh, liquid vitamin C in. Right. Right. So the port is out. She says she's sore and tender from where the port was removed. I bet. But doing well and keeping her healthy habits. Yes. Way to go, Brenda. And her last comment was, um, thank you, Amanda, for spreading all of the prayers in Oregon for me. Oh, you are so welcome. So welcome. And continue them, you guys. Continue them for her to continue down this road, get her health back, positive vibes, all of that good stuff. Send it Brenda's way because we can all always continue to use prayers. Yes. Always. Today is the 20th of May. Okay. And there's a really cool event going on right now. All right. The best little roadhouse is over there on commercial. Mm-hmm. 
for those who don't know, there's a miniature golf course behind the restaurant. Yes. And they open for business at 11 today. Okay. But right now, there is a miniature golf tournament for a three-year-old girl from Kaiser who has blood cancer. Oh, okay. So her father is a police officer on the Kaiser Fire Department, or Police Department, Mm -hmm. and her mom is a teacher at the high school. Okay. So huge community players. Huge community players. But we just put together this little miniature golf tournament that's happening right now over at the best little roadhouse. How fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Want a recipe? A little mini. uh, A mini golf tournament. That's fun. Because she's a mini person. Yeah. (laughs) I like what you did there. Because she's a mini little person. Yeah. With a big heart. With a huge heart. Yeah. All right. So our recipe, we've talked a lot about salads. Mm -hmm. This is a strawberry peach vinaigrette. Okay. That sounds really good. Okay, I'm salivating already. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to tie in super well to the next thing we're going to talk about that Merrick Park has some really great news about. So so it says, uh, summer's a great time of year to get creative with salads and dressings. Since different fruits come into season around this time, it can be fun to test out the combination that go well with your spinach salad or your spring salad, Mm -hmm. spring mix salad. This vinaigrette is sweet and fruity while also being a touch of tartness from the balsamic vinegar. Yeah. So four ingredients. My mouth is still water. Yeah. (laughs) Speed it up, Baron. (laughs) I want to hear these ingredients. So you have one pitted peach. Okay. Four strawberries, a quarter cup of water, and two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar. Okay. Pretty simple, right? Yeah. Yeah, so in a blender, you combine the peach, the strawberries, the water, the vinaigrette. You blend it for about two minutes, and it's ready to serve. Wow. I wonder what other things you can put it on. That sounds good with, like, uh, some cheese that would that feta, like feta cheese on a salad with that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. With, like, some raspberries to top it off with on top. Well, my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Yum. Everybody's just going, okay, when's lunch? <laughs> yeah. Right. Are you providing the salad? I got the dressing. <laughs> well, we do have one Kaiserite that always wants a recipe. Oh, yes. Bob. Bob. Bush. Bob we got your back, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but people who do want this recipe, how do they get it? Amanda? Yes. So just email me, Amanda at kslm.news, and I will shoot you over a picture of this amazing recipe. And if you're thinking, like, you know, you guys do weekly recipes, I don't know if I've ever emailed and gotten any. Well, email me and let me know that you want them all, and I'll shoot them all your way. You get them all. Yeah. Well, last week we had another great person from Kaiser, and we had Mike Lowry. Oh, yep. Right? Yes, we did. His wife, Jane, is the incoming president of the board for the Kaiser Chamber. Okay. She is the branch manager there at the Willamette Valley Bank in Kaiser. Where local means Where something. local means something, yeah. <laughs> and we had this amazing discussion about the, the industrialization of our society, really. Mm-hmm. What was a big takeaway for you from that discussion? Oh my gosh, I hate when you put me I on the spot like this. Time, you have to let me ponder it. because okay, so pause, much- ponder. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You'll have to refresh me. What did we touch on? Well, we touched on lawns because post-World War II, you've got all these people that are being born and houses are becoming more popular and everyone wants a nice, beautiful lawn. Mm-hmm. So this co- company named Monsanto oh, yes. designed this thing called Roundup mm-hmm. that would actually kill the bugs so your lawn looked great. Yeah. Roundup had some very deadly consequences we didn't know about. Yes, like, there was actually some in one of the ingredients that we consume regularly. Yeah. What was that product? That we consume regularly? Yes. 
that French it was fries. French fries. So you remember That's our discussion right. about the industrialization? The potatoes. So this is really interesting, and I would love to hear Mary Clark's comments. I found a little video that McDonald's <clears throat> wants all their French fries to be about the same length, and they want them to look like this little bouquet that comes out of that red box. The one potato that is the longest and skinniest is the Burbank russet potato, which is grown in Idaho. Mm -hmm. But they also don't want any of those little blemishes. To get rid of the blemishes, you've got to get rid of this aphid that then eats potatoes. Now, ladybugs will get rid of the aphid, but Monsanto had a spray called Monitor that they would spray over the fields. Farmers would not venture out for five days after they sprayed these potatoes because it was that toxic of a chemical. Then they would harvest the potatoes, put them into a huge, huge shed, size of a football stadium, to off-gas for six weeks. And then take them in to a plant to be then cut up into fries to go to McDonald's. But before they would be served, they would be in a sugar water bath. Mm -hmm. And then they become the, the, the french fries you eat at McDonald's. So now is that... Oh, I see thoughts are coming. <laughs> <laughs> is that all potatoes or just... For McDonald's. Just because, for McDonald's. Okay. Because I, the whole point of the article was McDonald's want a specific kind of fry. Right. To get that kind of fry, you have we to have had all to industrialize things. a processing system mm -hmm. to get that fry. Because I went to the grocery store and I bought that type of potato, the brown potatoes, because mm -hmm. they're just the cheaper kind. Let's sure. be honest. Yeah. You know, it's to chop them up and make mashed potatoes or just do a baked potato for my family. And I looked at them, and it was like, am I poisoning myself with these? No. So I went for the golden ones. And it's like, but they probably use the same thing on those if they use them on those. So I forgot about that. But, yes, yeah, so it's just the McDonald's ones. It's what they do for the fields that are going to be sold to McDonald's okay. fries. But okay. goldens are really good potatoes, too. They are. They are. Except Let's... as we were having this discussion before we recording, there's something happening right now here in the Salem area that – Mayor Clark wants to throw some comments on Okay. So we've been talking about food and food production. Also, we know that there are food deserts in our country, especially as we've gotten more and more dense within our urbanized areas. And this is not new. This isn't like the last five years. This has been developing over decades of urban planning, and I use planning in air quotes, that has resulted in food not being fresh and locally available except in certain areas, and usually it was higher-income areas. So for transporting food into highly uh, densely populated urban areas, you had food that was produced, and it was packaged and then shipped. So it would retain a certain level of cleanliness, and you know, packaging does help prevent disease and, and growth and so forth. But there were also preservatives used. Now, mm -hmm. Um, just in case people are wondering, I'm drawing from my background as a biologist. I hold a degree in wildlife and fisheries biology from University of California at Davis and a master's degree from Kansas State University in parasitology and immunology. Okay. So that's where I'm tapping Those credentials by themselves <laughs> are <pretty laughs> But I'm like, wow. <laughs> so just in case you're wondering, did that really come with the mayor job? <laughs> it predates it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but so that said... Back, back up. What yeah. was your master's in? Uh, parasitology. 
parasitology. Parasitite. Parasites. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just and, thought it was kind of cool how you said that. <laughs> yeah, and, and then also I had an emphasis in immunology. So okay. a study of the immune system, and I also did some field work in uh, wildlife biology while I was there because we had a guy, and I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but one of the professors there at Kansas State was the premier expert on native tall grass prairies, Lloyd Uh Holbert, and I got a chance to do some field work with some of his teams, and it was really epic. So, no, Kansas is not entirely flat. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do field work in Kansas? Uh, Beautiful rolling tall grass prairies. So, anyway, that was a little uh, bit of a squirrel moment. But to go back to what we were talking about, in the industrialization of our uh, living in higher densities, we've had to have a way to get food to people, and in that process, Process, it was industrialized and to the point where food production has become more and more separated from our day-to-day life. Instead of like the agrarian communities where you had your home gardens and then your fields where you were producing for uh, export was right outside your door. But years ago, uh, many communities began to institute community gardens. And we have a fabulous system of community gardens right here in Salem and Kaiser. And most of them are organized through Marion Polk Food Share. So the food share isn't just about getting uh, canned goods and other foods to people in need. That is a very, very important function. But they also do community gardens. What's the benefit? Locally fresh grown produce that you know where it came from, you know how it was grown, and children who get involved become connected with their food. And if they grew it, they're more likely to eat it. If they get a Brussels sprout that they grew, they go, ooh, I did this, and they eat it. If mom or dad puts it on their plate, you go, what's that? (laughs) It's foreign. But when they are invested in producing it, in growing it, and watching it go from seed to you know, the plant to their plate, they're much more engaged and eating fresh local food. So what if you can't or don't have time to grow a garden? Thank you for asking. Thank You're you welcome. For asking. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you mentioned it. We also have an amazing system of community markets. Now they are very popular and the big one is on Saturday, you know, today, um, in Salem at the Salem Saturday market. Yes. But that's not the only one they run. They run two or three others, and a brand new one has opened at Chemeketa Community College in their fabulous agricultural hub. That building is not just a classroom. It is also a community gathering space. They intentionally designed it to welcome the community to use that space for events, connecting with agriculture, and they have partnered with the Salem Community Markets to run a market right in the East Salem area every Wednesday from, I think it's from 2 to 7, and they'll be bringing in, they've got plant starts, you want to start your garden, they've got them started for you. You want to buy flowers, you bet they've got it. Fresh fruit and vegetables in season, getting to your point, they're going to have those there too. So if somebody is working and they want to grab something on the way home from work and not wait for Saturday to drive all the way downtown, if you live in East Salem, you guys are in luck. It's now right here, thanks to this fabulous partnership of Chemeketa Community College 
and the Salem community markets. That's awesome. awesome. That is really cool. One of the interesting things, as you were describing where this is at, there is another nonprofit here in town, and you've heard of the phrase called gleaners. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So they partner with gleaners. Okay. And for those listeners that don't know what it is, any farm, when they go through and harvest, there's potatoes or, or whatever that's around the edges that it's just not cost effective to send somebody out there and get that. So they just let it sit. From a from a you know a business standpoint as a farmer, it's not worth their cost to go get it. Right. So the gleaners can come in and mm-hmm. pick it for free. Oh. All you gotta do is volunteer to go out there and get your own food. Yeah. Well, the lady I met here in town that runs that, she was showing me that we have food deserts in Salem. There's a map of Salem. Now, a food desert is where you do not have access to fresh food. Okay. Fresh vegetables. I'm like, how in the world can Salem, like I get Los Angeles, I get New York. How does Salem have food deserts? Because near Shemakada, right there at the corner of Lancaster and Silverton Road, Mm -hmm. there is a a bus drop-off. There's a whole bunch of apartments, mostly Latino community, but mom's working, dad's working, so kid goes home, grabs food at Circle K, doesn't have access to fresh food. Right. Except now there is. There is. At the college. That's really cool. It's great the college has it because that little pocket of Salem is a food desert in this town. Not only that, but you support local, too. And I think that's huge. I think Salem and Kaiser are really big on supporting their local communities. Oh, you know it. And uh, the name of the organization is called Salem Harvest. Yep. If you don't know how to properly harvest a food, they will teach all of their volunteers. So when they go onto the farmer's fields with whom they have an agreement, they know how to pick it in a sustainable way that brings the most food in and also make sure that the the farm is well taken care of and nurtured so when it gets ready to be planted again, it's good to go. And on their website, and I don't have the stats in front of me, they have lists of the different uh, crops that they go and harvest and how many thousands and thousands of pounds of food they have been able to save from being plowed under every single month. And it is mind-blowing and such a joy to see that food being made available to the people in our community through the Salem Harvest. So Salem Harvest is the name of that nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Great organization. That is really cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing I thought we'd bring up in this half, again, an update, but a series of things have happened with this idea that came to me about the Charitable Pharmacy Act. Yes. And I wanted to bring Kathy in because she's got some, what she does professionally and some ideas that she and I shared. So I'll take you back to last year. I heard about this Charitable Pharmacy Act in Washington. From Dee Dee Smith, right? From Dee Dee Smith. Yeah. And I had gone to Kevin Mannix while he was running for office. And I explained what this act was. And he says, I've crafted bills very similar to that when I was in the Congress before, I said, okay, so step one is we need to get Kevin Mannix elected. Right. (laughs) So he did get elected, and immediately he got one of his staff people doing some research. He's always quick on top of things. That email came to me on January the 17th. Oh, wow. They didn't waste any time at all doing the research. And they came back to find out that House Bill 2535, which was... uh, crafted, I made the right word, but it has been around since uh, 2009. So a long time. So we've had this bill for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So they find the bill, they find out what the bill says, and within that it says that you have to have a, a state board certified pharmacy acting as the 
charitable pharmacy. Right. So we figured out the wording. We figured out what had to happen. And then immediately, Kevin sends an email off to James Schroeder, who's the director of the Oregon Health Authority, and very professionally written, but basically says, unfortunately, participation in the program is low. There are only four pharmacies in Oregon. What are the barriers? Is it lack of awareness of the program? Um, it, is it what steps need to be taken to get past these barriers? So he's just basically asking. What's the solution? What's the solution? Yeah. Well, once I knew that there were four pharmacies, I'm like, well, which ones are they? So they went out and found the four pharmacies for us. Yeah. <laughs> there are, But the other problem is that there's 12 that dropped out. So the four pharmacies that do exist, there's one in Portland called the Central City Concern Pharmacy. Okay. There's one in Bend, Volunteers in Medicine Clinic, one in Portland called Outside In Pharmacy, and then another one in Springfield, Volunteers in Medicine Clinic. So okay. one in Bend, one in Springfield. But there's 12 that were in the program. That dropped out. And dropped out. So then I immediately tried to get a hold of them just saying, why did you leave the program? Yeah, what happened? Was it a collection problem? Was it a distribution problem? Well, they were, re were not responding to me. So I'm sitting at this event with Mayor Clark, and she said, there are solutions. So I'm hoping that in our last few minutes you can share your thoughts on how we can solve this problem. So it was fantastic to find out that this already exists. So the hurdle of getting through legislation that one's already been crossed. Done. So what we're looking at is what is the barrier and what barriers have been put in place to get life-saving medication that you know is no longer needed by a patient back into the system. This is new, unopened, ready to go. These are very expensive medications that can serve another patient. So why are they being wasted? And I'm going to do a little aside. For any of you who have medications that you need to dispose of, never, ever, 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 ever flush them, ever. Can I emphasize that? Ever. There's no fish anywhere that wants to eat, drink, or, or absorb any of that. Please take them to the Kaiser Police Department, and in Salem, they have drop-off places too. Kaiser Police has a drop-off box in the lobby. You can bring uh, medications there. Please no needles. Please no liquids. And drop it off there during business hours. In fact, so that's I my plug. The, I remember the look on your face when Dee Dee Smith announced this, and you were in shock that people were throwing things in the dumps. Yeah, and, and flushing. It's like, oh, for the love of Pete, do not. <laughs> Please never, ever, ever flush down any medications whatsoever because they are not easily extracted at the, uh, the treatment plant. They're very difficult to get out, and when that water is then released from the treatment plant back into the system, some of those uh, drugs are still, are still in the water. But so there's, we a talk drop, there's a drop-off spot at Kaiser Police Department. Kaiser Police Department, any any business day, during business hours, it's a green, it looks like a big mailbox. Just make sure, again, no sharps, no liquids. Put them in a Ziploc bag, seal that thing, drop them in, you're good to go. And that would, the environment thanks you, and Kaiser Police also thanks you because that keeps it out of the hands of other family members or their buddies who might want to use them for other non-prescription purposes. That was mm -hmm. well said. Yes, it was. <laughs> so back to the point, though, about collecting medications that need to be redistributed to patients in need. We want to make sure that we bring together the people who are doing the work already. So my first thought would be to get with the ones that are still open. 
Why are they open? How is it working? What are their systems? And they're in Oregon, so they're in the framework that we would like other pharmacies to work with. Then identify those characteristics and find local organizations that already exist if they do in our area to start partnering, informing, and also then looking at the cost to be able to implement here. Something tells me there's a common thread in those four that are still open. We need to identify those so they can teach us reinventing the wheel when we have a good wheel already working doesn't make sense to me. Yes, I agree. And then we can take it from there. Once we get people informed, we understand what this framework looks like. We know then who to bring to the table. And I'm an, I'm an all-skate person. You're even remotely interested in this. Get them to the table. Mm-hmm. That's how we've been able to do the work for the Mid-Willamette Valley Homeless Alliance. We are an all-skate. You want to help? You want to be involved? You're in. There, there's, no, there's no barrier to that. We want everybody throwing in and pulling in the same direction. I think that by working with the existing pharmacies, finding that information, information is power. Then we can start working on framework because when it comes to Kaiser and Salem, we show up and we get things done. Amen to that. Well, and, and, I, and I would say that people could listen to the show, just email Amanda, say, I, we would like to get involved in this table discussion mm-hmm. that Kathy's talking and about. And I will direct you in the right place. Absolutely. That's Amanda at KSLM.news. So we're going to wrap up this last, or this first segment, sorry, uh, with our sponsors, Oddmo's Pizza. Make sure you guys go grab them for some lunch or dinner and not have to worry about cooking in this hot weather. And then our other sponsor is Mark Kramer with Family Heritage Northwest. Mark is an exclusive agent for Globe Life, the Family Heritage Division, where they protect families from financial devastation of cancer and other serious illnesses. He can be be reached at 503-341-4345 or at his website, familyheritagenw.com.